Hello and welcome to a new episode of Thanks for the Knowledge, fan by its weekly news show rounding up the headlines in games entertainment in one handy podcast. I also talked to some of my very favorite people on the internet this week. I talked to Paul Tassie, the looter shooter expert and TV and games writer over at Forbes. We had a great conversation about Destiny 2's new content, uh, other looter shooters in the space, uh, and and more. And it was a really great conversation that was definitely not interrupted by barking dogs at any point. Uh, I had a great time talking to Paul, so stay tuned for that. But first, we absolutely have to talk about our top story. There's no bigger news story in games and entertainment this week than the ongoing legal battle between Apple and Epic Games. Uh, this has been brewing for a very long time, and the actual trial started this week. So I want to remind y'all how this all started and uh, give you some details about some things that have happened this week. Uh, if you recall, Epic Games, the makers of Fortnite, the biggest video game in the world, uh, they're, they're grumpy at Apple, and here's why. Uh, Fortnite is a free-to-play game. And within that game, you can use V-Bucks, which you can buy with real currency, uh, to buy skins and other things. Uh, when you buy something uh, through the Apple Store, let's say V-Bucks, uh, when you open up Fortnite on the uh, iOS device, Apple will take a 30% cut of that transaction. Now, everywhere on consoles, basically every place that you can get Fortnite, uh, there is a transaction fee depending on which platform you're using. On PC, through uh, the Epic Games launcher and all that stuff, uh, Epic is recouping 100% of those transaction fees, of course. Uh, on Apple and uh, Android devices, they were having to give up 30% of those transactions. Uh, and Apple, uh, specifically in this case, uh, has a policy against any sort of alternate storefronts or alternate methods of payment that don't go through that transactional process. Uh, this has been accepted for a, a long time, even though not particularly popular with publishers. Uh, so uh, what happened is that in August of 2020, Epic added a new payment system through the app itself, through the Fortnite app, that would uh, allow... Uh, users to actually spend less overall money, giving them a discount, passing the savings on to the consumer, uh, to have a, a transaction fee-less uh, payment uh, to buy things like V-Bucks in the Fortnite store. So Apple did not like this because it was circumventing the rules. Now, frankly, Google didn't like it either. And as such, both places removed Fortnite from their storefronts. So it was gone from the uh, the Apple App Store and it was gone from Google Play. Uh, Epic filed two lawsuits uh, in, in response to this, alleging uh, mono, mono, oh my gosh, monopolistic practices, thank you, uh, and saying that this 30% uh, transaction fee is uh, not not the right thing to do. So they took Apple to court, and uh, this got ugly really fast. Uh, there were there were hashtags that Epic started uh, hashtag free Fortnite, which mobilized a ton of their younger audience to start lashing out against Apple about these policies. Uh, Fortnite, by the way, is still available on the Android store, but it has to, it has to be sideloaded and not through the Google Play store itself. Uh, it is still not on Google Play or the Apple App Store. Uh, Epic Games, by the way, through Fortnite being one of the biggest video games in the world, is uh, worth about $29 billion. It's also partly owned by our parent company, Tencent, so keep that in mind 
as we go through this. Uh, during the pretrial phase, uh, where a judge was seeing a lot of the evidence and hearing some arguments, uh, it wasn't clear if this is going to go to trial because there were issues on both sides. Uh, Apple told Epic, uh, Apple was told by the pretrial judge that they would not be able to take away Epic's dev tools, which Apple had actually threatened to do. Uh, Epic, by the way, uh, also creates the Unreal Engine, an engine that developers and publishers use all over the industry to make games. Apple had been threatening to actually remove uh, uh, support for that ecosystem on the App Store, which would have wreaked havoc across the industry. The judge told them that that was not going to be something that they were allowed to do. Um, and because of that, they would still be able to uh, up, uh, upload updates uh, on the Epic side to Fortnite through the Apple App Store that could be uh, accessed and loaded for people that had already bought or already downloaded Fortnite. So uh, Epic's request uh, to uh, for an injunction for Apple to put the Fortnite game back on the store was also denied. Uh, because, you know, it was a very clear violation of Apple's rules that they agreed to. Pre-trial judge, judge said Apple was totally within their right to do that, and so that was rejected. The pre-trial judge then decided that this should probably go to an actual trial, uh, where someone will decide the fate of this case, uh, see if Epic can get the game reinstated on the Apple App Store, uh, see if they can use this payments platform. It could have far-reaching consequences for the industry. So this Monday, this past Monday, uh, the trial actually started, and a lot has happened between then and now. So what does Epic want out of this? They want to topple the industry standard of a 30% transaction fee that a platform holder takes. So this is something that Tim Sweeney, Epic's uh, CEO, uh, has been saying um, for many years that he wants to topple kind of these platform-specific transaction fees. He doesn't like closed platforms. He likes things being more open and controlled by the publishers themselves. Uh, in 2016, if you recall, uh, he, he talked about Microsoft and talking about PC gaming and monopolizing that space. Uh, and he, he's been disappointed with the way that they've started to close those systems. So this has been an evolving thing that Tim Sweeney has really been focused on. Uh, so Apple has to fight this and they have to fight it hard because if they lose this battle, then they could lose that 30% transaction fee across their app store, which would probably create a significant shift in their revenue and, and create a situation where having things be as easy, relatively speaking, uh, to have apps on the app store and update them and all that stuff, they may start thinking twice about how expensive that endeavor starts to be. That cut, by the way, is estimated to be around a billion dollars a year. So that is a passive cut to their revenue that does a lot of damage to their bottom line and would probably have a pretty far-reaching set of consequences if this were to be overturned. So uh, on the first day of trial, the CEO for Epic Games, Tim Sweeney, did take the stand and he was grilled uh, about his knowledge of the industry, about consoles, about many other things to get, I guess, a baseline of how knowledgeable he is in the space. So, you know, because he's such a focal point of the of the actual lawsuit, uh, this seemed relevant. So uh, Fortnite's role in the development of this uh, this case 
was also kind of put on trial. Uh, Team Sweeney talked a lot about how the success of that game was because it came to so many platforms and started growing as a result of that kind of penetration. Um, There were a lot of things that uh, Tim Sweeney was asked about, and it revealed quite a lot about the industry. So let's go through some of that. Uh, Sony actually became part of this conversation uh, where it came out that when they finally caved to allow cross-play between PlayStation and other consoles and devices, it came at a cost, and it was a cost to the developers and publishers that uh, wanted the cross-play. They were charged an additional fee to allow that. So this was always spoken of as a technological hurdle for PlayStation, but as it turns out, and which is not super surprising, it was really a financial hurdle. They didn't want to lose the money that they feel like they were losing on allowing crossplay, so they started charging publishers for it based on how much revenue that they were making. So that was one big revelation that uh, would probably that will probably come back into play uh, when with regards to Apple's supposed monopoly on these extra fees. Another core component of Epic's case is calling forth expert witnesses to testify about Apple's policies and how difficult they are to uh, manage uh, their, their games and products uh, around their policies. So NVIDIA was called up to the stand, also a representative from Microsoft, vice president of Xbox Business Development, Warrior Wright, took the stand and talked at length about how xCloud, uh, the cloud service that they they been trying to get everywhere uh, was so difficult to get uh, on the Apple App Store. Of course, Apple's lawyers uh, did (laughs) invite her to be honest about how Apple did eventually help them get things going and uh, get them compliant with those policies, but it was still extremely difficult. Um, There are also some other things that Wright pointed out, the fact that, you know, Xboxes were never really sold uh, per profit, per, uh, per per console at per console profit, unlike uh, Apple iPhones, uh, who have all these policies in place to make as much money on these devices as humanly possible. Um, it it's a lot of evidence to show that Apple's policies are maybe a bit more punitive than other platform holders, but uh, there doesn't seem to be a lot of movement one way or the other yet. Uh, how this trial will go. Uh, there were some really, really, really bizarre things that came up in these conversations. Uh, Microsoft had to release some internal documents showing that they uh, very, very much strongly predicted that Breath of the Wild 2, Bayonetta 3, and Metroid Prime 4 were going to release within the window of the Xbox Series S, uh, X, S and X. That, of course, did not happen. Uh, In fact, all those games don't have a release date yet, so it's a little bizarre to see some of those internal documents being uh, super off. Um, They they also had some internal documents about what they thought the PlayStation 5 would launch with, but it was redacted to a degree that looked like something from the game control, which is really funny. Um, there were, there was a really interesting moment where Tim Sweeney was asked to put a switch together with some Joy-Con and he kind of didn't know how to do it. And it was like, clearly I'm not a switch player. Um, which is really funny because Fortnite is out on Nintendo switch. Uh, there was, uh, not a lot going 
going on toward the middle of the week. Uh, uh, some stuff about Epic's own technology platform, uh, how Fortnite exists on that. Uh, there was also some dive into the Apple review process for, for new apps, which got into how human error can sometimes uh, be a factor in whether something gets accepted or rejected. Um, but very few rejections are ever o- overturned or appeals granted. That was one of those details that seemed very, very clear after day three and four of the trial. Uh, one of the things that maybe happened in Apple's favor is uh, Laurie Wright was trying to point out that uh, because of this profit difference between an iPhone and an Xbox, uh, it was fair for Xbox to start charging 30% on things sold through their storefront, but not really fair for Apple to do it because those devices are being sold at a profit. Uh, Apple's lawyers kind of redirected that statement and said, hey, uh, don't can't you play games uh, and watch movies and surf the internet on Xbox consoles, making it more of a multimedia device akin to an iPhone. Uh, And that seems to be a point maybe perhaps in favor of thinking that uh, Apple's policy may not be that punitive and also pretty similar to everyone else's out there. But Wright said, hey, nobody buys an Xbox to watch Netflix. Uh, Essentially, uh, people buy Xboxes to play games, which makes it a fundamentally different thing. So this is probably going to come down to judgment, right? You know, how does the judge kind of see these things shaping shaping up? And I think we have a long way to go because uh, Apple representatives still need to dive into a lot of their policies and a lot of the history there. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting trial because so much about the games industry has been just kind of casually mentioned. Um, and even the stuff that is redacted uh, is still kind of interesting and raises a lot of questions. A rare case where I think uh, there there aren't a lot of winners here. I think Epic wants basically its own piece of the pie. Um, I, I can't help but agree a little bit about how closed systems hurt things, but maybe not quite in the way that Tim Sweeney and Epic think it does, because, again, they're worth $29 billion. They're not exactly the little guy themselves. And they have a storefront where themselves they charge a platform fee. Now, it's not as high as Apple's or other industry standards, but a platform fee is something that they are familiar with, they understand, and that's going to become part of the trial too, I bet. So uh, everyone stay tuned. We will probably continue to cover this pretty closely. Uh, If there are any major developments uh, on Friday or over the weekend, uh, we will obviously have those things on the website. Imran Khan has a great explainer up uh, on fanby.com right now that I invite you to go check out. This week, Bungie announced a brand new season of content called Season of the Splicer that starts on May 11th. Here with me to discuss that and all things looter shooters is the lootness shootness tootness games and TV writer at Forbes. It's Paul Tassi. How are you, Paul? Good. Thanks for having me. That is <laughs> quite the description, but I guess I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it's you know, Paul Tamayo, my producer, has heard me introduce a lot of people here, and I really wing it. And this morning, I was like, I'm going to introduce Paul as the lootness shootness writer, and I was like. I can't believe I came up with that and I'm going to say it and it sounds really bad. And it's, um, (laughs) it was even, it was frankly even worse coming out than it was in my head, but you know what? We're going to keep it because that's That's fine. That's That's fine. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I, I, I want to talk to you about destiny first because, 
Uh, one, I think our, our listener base is very tuned into the destiny, uh, milieu, but, uh, also just, it's, it seems like an interesting time to be a destiny fan. Why don't you tell me kind of the overview of, of what's coming in season of the splicer and we can get into, uh, some details from there. Sure. Uh, so season of the splicer was kind of rumored. Uh, it was leaked on Bungie's website, I think a week or so ago, and then it did pan out. Uh, what did not pan out is the idea that this directly has something to do with SIVA, which is the last time we kind of heard the word splicer. Um, yeah. That's just kind of a generalized term for fallen scientists. Uh, and it appears that this time around, we will not be shooting them. They will be helping us um, build weapons and stuff and fight the Vex, who are going to be the main enemy for the season as they have turned off the sun in the last city, which sounds not great. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to have to uh, figure out a way to undo that. Um, and then in terms of actual gameplay, they announced uh, two main things. the uh, A six-man match-made mission that is the first one I think we've had since Season of Dawn, uh, yeah. some sort of Vex something or another, and then a weekly uh, Pinnacle mission that I think reminds me of Interference from the way it's being described uh, back in Arrivals, but I guess we'll have to see how it works in practice. Yeah. And, and what was so amazing is that everyone really latched onto the baby fallen and that that's like, <laughs> and the bit. Yeah. So how could I forget the baby fallen? That was my whole article today. It was just ba- about the baby fallen. I mean, that's what, that's what every, that's what Forbes <laughs> latched onto Polygon. It was everywhere. I was just like, uh, and of course we've, we've seen, you know, all the baby Yoda stuff, uh, the, the, the swapping that I've seen a lot of, um, they eat humans, right? So like, that's the rumor. That's the I rumor. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a fallen eat a human. Yeah, that's so true. I, I don't know we'll if Bungie see. would lovingly animate that for their video game. I'm not <laughs> sure. Not. I'm not sure they can get away with that. Um, tell me about Vault of Glass too, because that that's an interesting thing that uh, like old fans of Destiny are you know, probably really interested in. Yeah, so at least in terms of what they presented, there's going to be three different phases where it's going to launch, I think on May 22nd, yeah. is this kind of quasi-world's first race uh, where everyone, you know, most people know the general mechanics, but they're going to introduce kind of new twists and challenges you have to complete in order to be considered for world's first. Uh, I think a couple of weeks later, there's going to be actual challenges that I think everybody can take on. And then way later in July... They're having actual like difficulty options, which yeah. I didn't think was coming yet, but apparently that is making it up for the end of the season. Um, and all we know so far, like we don't know if it's integrated into the story per se. Like I know they haven't like written dialogue for it and stuff, but yeah. that's not to say like it might not be like alluded to in the story, you know, with all this vex stuff going on somehow. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think makes Vault of Glass so enduring? Because that that is one of those things that, you know, uh, folks that might have fallen off of Destiny 2 or even late Destiny might be surprised to see that, like, this is still a, a raid and, and a location that gets brought up a ton uh, and and brought back into the fold. So what makes it so enduring, do you think? Um I mean, I, I think part of it is a good part of it is nostalgia, but I also think that's it's for a good reason in that. You know, when Vault and Glass came out, like no one had really experienced something like this in a shooter before. Right. Like, people knew what raids were with MMOs and stuff and, you know, these these 40 man elaborate encounters and whatever. But no one had really seen anything 
quite like this in uh, a shooter. And at the time, I, I forget how long the first Vault of Class clear was, but it was like, what, 10, 15 it hours? It was a, least a long time. Yeah, it was Yeah, wild. and so, and people were just struggling with it. And like, so now when viewed, I guess, in the grand context of everything, you know, it's not probably the most challenging raid. It's not maybe the most creative raid. And then the loot certainly probably isn't, you know, the coolest looking or anything. But I think it just holds a special place in people's hearts as being like the kind of, definitive uh moment where maybe destiny sort of turned a corner in their minds i mean like okay so this is something new like this is something really different than what we've seen before yeah yeah super super different um yeah it's it i do remember those first clears and it was it it was exactly what you said just something so different than i think what what folks had experienced and it kind of was the i guess i feel like it was you know when destiny was first announced everyone wanted to slap this Oh, it's a first person MMO onto it. And, you know, vanilla destiny kind of wasn't that, you know, and it was kind of like a, a different feeling. And I think that was really the first time everyone was like, Oh, we can kind of see the potential of this, which is, which is cool. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, we got a lot of questions in discord about, uh, one thing, and I, I bet you can imagine what it is. I won't ask you how you feel about it because I think everyone's feelings are pretty clear, but the, the transmog system in destiny too. that, <laughs> that was going to be another baby falling question, not okay. a baby falling <laughs> question, but transmog, obviously yeah. the, uh, maybe just briefly explain the process with which you now, which you will have to, 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 to do, to do transmog. And then, Let's let's get into some other stuff after that. Okay, um, you can't see this, but I have my hand against my forehead. Uh, so, <laughs> the you you start by killing enemies. You yes. kill enough enemies to earn. I forget all the synth currency one. Let's just call it that because I can't remember all the names. You turn in synth currency one to buy bounties. You can use those bounties in pretty much any activity in the game. I think um, anything that's like a structured activity. I think you could even do it in patrol. Maybe uh, I, I forget. You turn those in, you get uh, synth currency two, and then I believe you build up enough of that to exchange it for synth currency three with Ada. Maybe I I may have missed a step, but I think that's like the general gist of it. And right. then that will get you one transmog, <laughs> one piece of armor being transmogged, which is uh, it- wild. <laughs> that's that that's that's that economy stresses me out reading and, and listening to it. So, <laughs> so I, I have a little bit of a different take. I think okay. there, there are two main issues here. Some people have an issue with the, pro- the whole process of like any amount of grind being attached to transmog period, because other games just let you like, Oh, if you have this thing, just click a button, it's transmogs like, okay. But then the other half is this cap uh, on how much you could transmog in a given uh, season, which is yeah. what I have the issue with. I have always kind of been saying that I think destiny needs kind of, lighter longer term grinds that you can kind of choose to do or not do when there is downtime Um, i I think we get to a point every season where there is pretty much nothing to do for like at least a month a month and a half like and so if you want to be playing destiny you almost feel like there's very little point to uh but i i thought transmog could be used to kind of fill that gap and create a kind of very very loosely structured grind for um okay like i want you know I, i this one set of armor i used three years ago like it would be cool to have that as a transmog option. Like I'll spend a couple hours to get that done. Like when I have some time, that to me uh, seemed like a good potential use of making transmog an actual quest. Whereas if you have priorities, like yeah, you can just go straight for the ones you immediately want to do, 
and and get those done right away. But I think this offers kind of like a medium term, short term grind that you can do just kind of whenever you want. Um, the yeah. cap kind of changes that and you have to make calculations in terms of that. But that is why I personally don't necessarily mind that there is a grind. I think the, the triple synth currency thing is what makes it stupid. Uh, I think they could have just streamlined that into one currency. Um, with, and I think people are getting tripped up on that for good reason. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think going forward on, on destiny stuff, like where do you see this game going? I, and Luke Smith's role is, is changing in, in, in that, that, that team kind of seems, I won't say struggling, but it's like, th- this has been kind of a grind for this team to get stuff out and to have it be unanimously popular. So like, where, where do you see this game going in the next, I don't know, 18 to 24 months? Uh, so that, that term, uh, yeah, that's, I guess in the grand scheme of destiny, I guess that would technically almost be shorter term or medium term, <laughs> sure, but right. no, I, I mean, what, what happens, you know, a couple months ago or whenever it was when Bungie announced kind of their grand expansion plan is I think we all didn't really know if destiny would just sort of be over in like two more years. Yeah. Like they would just have two more expansions. Like, okay, like that was 10 years of destiny. We're going to move on to the next thing. But it seems very clear to me now, at least that they are not doing that. And we have what I think three more expansions now, um, including Witch Queen, and then maybe uh, they will move on. But I think they're just going to move on to another Destiny game, and it's it's very obvious that they have been able to build and expand as much as they have uh, on the back of Destiny. What I think the current problem is, and in, in, in why people feel maybe kind of beleaguered, both the fan base and the the actual uh, studio, is that I think Bungie is also trying to do all these other incubations at the same time. Right. And that is causing some measure of like, they can't expand. Like they, they couldn't move every, like the people they moved off destiny and replace them on the destiny team to create the level of content that players have come to expect mm. maybe back in the Activision days when they had these like dedicated support studios uh, to help them. And it is not terribly, uh, fun to hear Luke Smith say things like we will, we will probably never have an expansion as big as the taken King again. Like that's <laughs> kind of dispiriting kind of to hear. Yeah. Um, I feel like they, they could, it's just, it's kind of a measure of resources now. And like, I, I am sticking by my theory that PVP has been neglected because they have so many of their PVP or core PVP people working on probably some new heavily PVP based IP. So I think that's the kind of thing where you run into conflicts where they're going to have to balance kind of like a main game, but also launching, I mean, at least one more game in the next few years and probably more after that as, as they try to become a blizzard here. Yeah. Um, to, to your point, I mean, the seasonal model that they have kind of makes sense based on the commitment that they, they seem to be, uh, willing to, to put forth here, but do you personally like the seasonal model output? I, I do most of the time. I mean, obviously everyone can think of like when there were bad seasons and stuff, right. but I can't think of another game that uh, keeps me disengaged this often. The only thing that maybe comes to mind in terms of like output and, and what they're delivering is Genshin Impact. Mm. Um, they're they're just releasing stuff all the time, right. um, kind of on a huge scale. Whereas uh, Destiny, I, you know, you know me and my like weekly reset posts, like I, I am logging in every week to see if something new is happening. And like 80% of the time, there probably is something new. Yeah. Uh, even if, you know, it can be anything from a new mission to a little piece of lore. And so long as we are also still getting meaty content every so often, which, um, you know, Beyond Light has its issues, but I think that was a generally solid expansion. I think it's a good model for the game and one that we have seen 
other games in the genre like try to copy, but like no one is honestly really even come close. Like it's just, it's, it's really not close at all. And I think with some tweaks to it uh, to make it a bit less punishing, like they're trying to do with the power grind. So people don't feel as behind and stuff like that. And not, um, not deleting seasonal content after the season is over. Uh, that is, that has been kind of a, uh, a core reason that this is, um, kind of continued to work all this time and is yeah. still engaging at least a lot of the player base. That makes sense. Um, I haven't played destiny two since maybe the, I don't know, the second month it was out. Can convince me to get back into it. <laughs> the second month, the whole game was out. Yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, well, you already beat the red war campaign. I assume. I did. So, yeah. uh, no need to do that. Cause that's no longer in the game. Sure. <laughs> Um, <laughs> which is so strange, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to make the sale, honestly, because yeah. it is hard to describe what destiny even is <laughs> at this point. Um, I think the new, like, it would be weird for a lapse player to come back and do like the Shahan, right. You know, uh, onboarding quest. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a strange game in that way where it's like, I, I feel like a lot of the like Final Fantasy 14 is a really and this is by the way Paul this is the second week in a row my dog has lost her mind during <laughs> this exact interview. Now, I've been working at home. I just want every listener at home. I've been working at home for 55 fucking weeks at this point. This dog has been a precious baby angel for all 55 of those weeks. In the past 2 weeks she has lost her mind. Hmm. Something's up. My, my dog's just sleeping on the couch over there, but, uh, she'll, she'll start like chewing her horn really loudly, which always picks up on my YouTube videos. I did get a question. Let's, let's talk about that stuff real quick because, (laughs) because I did get two questions, not to totally interrupt my thought about destiny, but really my only thought about destiny was it's such a strange, um, I, I, I got a lot of FOMO with like final fantasy 14 and they, they have made it really, really, um, frankly a lot easier in the past year to get back into that game and go through the content relatively quickly to catch up with folks. And I feel like destiny with how they swap stuff out and they change stuff all the time. It is so difficult for me to ever make the case to jump back in. That was the only point I was going to make. About yeah. That. I mean, I, I guess you would just have to start at uh, forsaken maybe yeah. and then just kind of try to go in order. Yeah. But like so much, so much of the seasonal content in between those is gone, but this gone. year's seasonal content is still there. It's, so it's, it's very such weird. a bizarre feeling, but uh, b- a <laughs> yeah. bizarre situation. But I did get two questions. One is about your YouTube channel. Uh, someone uh, in our Discord really loves the stuff that you make, and it is really good. I've checked out uh, quite a bit of it over the past couple of weeks. Um, how are you enjoying that as as opposed to writing? Do you like one more? Do you like do you do you like one less? Do you like them both? <laughs> Um, I mean, that is me totally on my own. So I have, I yeah. guess, ultimate, ultimate freedom there to kind yeah. of do whatever I want. Uh, I was worried about starting it because I don't, I, I was worried both about, I have no video editing skills <laughs> and I didn't know how I would kind of be on camera. Cause like when I think of like your typical YouTuber, it's usually these very high energy, um, you know, very charming, entertaining people that are, are really kind of catching your attention. Right. And that's just like not really me, but I, I've kind of since learned that there, there's kind of space for everybody on YouTube uh, to a certain extent. So yeah. you can kind of just be yourself and it's fine. And people don't seem to mind uh, 15 minute one take videos with no editing. 
Right. <laughs> try and get better at that. Um, and then I am, of course, carried by my dog who makes cameos. And I think that's why most people are watching in the first place. Yeah, so. I did get a question that is just why is his dog so stinking cute? <laughs> oh, there, there we, we go. go. <laughs> right on cue. I think my wife just came home and opened the garage. That's thanks, the only time she barks. Thanks, Evie. <laughs> that was like a, that was a yep. wonderful. See, now oh, my dog no, is doing. We started the the chain the cascade. Okay. <laughs> so this, this is unbelievable. Um, no, but that's good. This is this is what happens. You work at home, and this is the this is the hazard. Um, yep. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about some other uh, looter shooters. Uh, Merritt K. It appears uh, is that name ringing a bell? Um, she uh, she's asking um, if there are any contenders coming up in the space to shake things up. And I guess this is kind of a two part question. Uh, how doomed does the Outlanders feel right now? So let's. Well, the let, fact that you're calling it Outlanders and not Outriders. <laughs> uh, that, that was totally. Means name recognition isn't great. That's inc- uh, that's incredible. I read, like, she, Merritt wrote that in, in the Slack and it was wrong, but I just read it like a fucking teleprompter. Um, <laughs> And I've but, heard, to be fair, I have heard most people call it. I think I was doing something thing with Destin the other day and he called it Outlanders too. That's like, incredible. It's just, I guess that's the more catchy term. Yeah. Um, Outriders has been very frustrating because yeah. I think it has the strongest fundamentals of kind of any of the recent looters. It's fun. But it, it it's, it's, it's very fun. Like at its core, it is extremely fun and it is almost entirely being held back by technical difficulties. Right. Whereas you have games like Anthem or Avengers where you're like, okay, like they did not build this end game correctly at all. The, yeah. the gearing and the looting is like, we need like a grand 2.0 overhaul to like fix all this. I don't think that's the case with Outriders. Like, I think it has all of that in place. It's just like things like armor doesn't work or like we deleted all of your gear, like yeah. things that are, are driving people away. And then on top of it, I mean, yes, it does not fundamentally want to be a live service game. So at a certain point you are literally going to run out of things to do by design and you will have to wait for some sort of uh, expansion. I think the game is done well enough where it probably will get uh, like actual DLC in the future, but it's, it's never going to be like a, a live destiny game. And it was, it was never supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Um, but in terms of other upcoming games, I think you're. I think we're seeing a trend kind of away from trying to get into this space mm-hmm. to a certain extent after yeah. so many, uh, you know, failed attempts so far. Or how much you know, even the good games now have had to struggle to get there. Yeah. Um. I think. I think you're going to see Avengers continuing to try and kind of make this work. I think they have at least uh, a a year of runway after launch to try and uh, figure things out whether that happens or not is anyone's guess yeah um but i i don't think until we get to like a borderlands 4 which i i have to imagine exists or obviously diablo 4 uh will we really see this genre expand and i, I if we're getting new ips i would be surprised to see them mm-hmm. kind of exactly in this position genre of a, a full live service given how risky it's been yeah to your point about Avengers, do you, what's your what's your gut feeling about it surviving twenty twenty one? My gut feeling is not good. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I I really respect the team, and I I really believe that they want to make this work. I just think that they were set so far behind with like not fully understanding how tough what this was going to be at launch. Like I'm I'm ninety percent sure their original plan was to have like you know, Hawkeye, Kate Bishop and Black Panther out by like Christmas yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, have this big dramatic expansion plan where they just lock, knock all these characters out. There's always something new to do, but they, between the technical problems the game had at launch and then realizing how long it actually takes to do all this stuff, 
they have spread that way out. So every three months you'll get a character release and like a couple new missions, but they have not figured out the sort of, uh, you know, week to week engagement that you need for a game like this to survive. And that's especially dangerous for them because they have promised this like eternally free model or even this like massive Black Panther expansion right. that's coming out this fall is going to be free. So yeah. they are only reliant on microtransactions, which is not a good spot to be in. And like, that's all they've really been producing for the game is like every, you look at their Twitter, their last like 30 posts are about, you know, which skins are in the store now. And that's just like, that reminds me of where Anthem used to be, where for a while right. nothing was happening in Anthem yep. except they were releasing new skins. And like, as much as I fundamentally liked the base game and I think combat and stuff is great. Like, the, the pace of releases has not been good. Um, and I'm, I'm going to stick with the updates and see what happens, but yeah. my gut feeling is, is not great right now. Yeah. I mean, adventures is so strange. I mean, I, I, I can't recall a game that to me was so clearly designed from the ground up to be something different than what it is. Um, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, like so much of that loot, loot mechanic, live service stuff, um, was not baked into that original premise. I don't think. Um, and and it's, it's yeah, it sucks because like imagine what like a twenty five hour campaign could have been with like eight adventures, like all these really fleshed out segments. Like, like that would have been awesome. I, I, but it was I like thought, a six hour campaign, and then all this live service stuff. I I, th- I thought the I thought the core stuff with just like Kamala Khan and and doing all that stuff. I, I thought it was really charming and like and, and well written. I mean, that team is good at that kind of thing. And like that, yeah. that is their core strength. And it's just a, a shame. I mean, like, you know, who, who, who knows, like maybe it's just a poorly implemented, poor, poorly designed looter shooter. And, and, and that's fine, but it does seem like at some point that team was told, Hey, you got to cram all this stuff in it. And the fact that they are, I guess, beholden to this free model, like you said, seems really, really dangerous and risky. And it's a shame for them. Yeah. I mean, cause you, when you think about it, when we talk about these games that have turned things around with the take, you know, the taken King or, um, Reaper of Souls and stuff like those were big expansions that I would a expect to probably be bigger than the Wakanda expansion right. and B were paid. So when those right. expansions were a hit, they really gave a boost to, you know, the rest of the game as a whole and kind of propelled it into the future. Whereas this, it, it like, it can't just be <laughs> like people playing the expansion. They have to buy like all the black Panther skins to like yeah. make this like an economically viable thing. And I sure. just, I don't know if you can just support yourself on microtransactions alone, unless you were like in that genre of, you know, Fortnite or whatever, like these, you know, just PVP games that are just selling skins and stuff like that. Like, I think that's a different animal. Yeah, for sure. Um, what else are you playing? You playing anything else? Um, I'm mostly sticking with my, my looters. I'm, yeah. I'm giving outriders <laughs> as much of a chance as I can. I'm still attempting to get all my characters to, um, challenge tier 15 end game yeah which is hit or miss uh and then yeah destiny's been taking a little bit of a backseat i was catching up on Genshin impact uh which i had put down for a couple weeks there but i have not ventured into uh the likes of like say returnal or, or things that are in the news like that yet yeah uh i played apex yesterday too the new update that yeah how, how, how do you like the new update it's good. It's I, I can see that being a really good uh, long term mode for it. Like I don't know if it's going to be like an esport or whatever, but it is. It's yeah. very fun, and it's certainly a change of pace from 
you know, the normal battle royale formula. So I, I think it's, it's, it does really feel like if trials of Osiris was like better. <laughs> like right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just how it feels. I, I'm such, kind of a shame. I'm such a downer on a, uh, on Valorant just because the, you know, they, they take their movement tech like directly from counter, you know, old counter strike where everything it's is such similar. a slog. Yeah, it's, it's so slow to me. Mm-hmm. And so when I did fire up apex that, that three on three, I was like, you know, no one, gets movement the way that respawn team does like you know even titanfall 2 being free this past weekend or whatever like a lot of folks got back into that and just that team it may not be everyone's cup of tea but like just the fluidity of movement combined with that gameplay um it's a pretty cool mode i i'm with you i don't know if it's going to be an esport but like i i don't know i'm i'm constantly interested in what that team cooks up with that game um, yeah, there it's it's such a healthy player base and the you know it's really grown and kind of just sucked all the oxygen that used to belong to uh Overwatch. Yeah. Yeah. Um so obviously you 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 have to like looter shooters to do what you do. Um <laughs> but but the staying on a beat for so long on one thing does it does that pose challenges to you or are you just like hey it's I'm I love covering this stuff so. Um it it can. I yeah. mean the challenges can be like when you're still trying to like cover a looter shooter that is like clearly on the decline and like (laughs) nobody else cares anymore. Right. Like I'd I'd say it's still pretty easy to cover destiny. Like just because I'm, you know, so engaged in that and that there's always something to write about with the model they have. uh, And then the community there is so engaged. But if you're trying to like cover, you know, Avengers long-term or outriders long-term and like people, like the interest just will, will drop off. Um, you know, alongside the player base. So if those don't come back, your coverage gets kind of less and less valuable. But then again, for the community that remains, you're kind of one of the only news sources still talking about it. So mm-hmm. that can be its own its own kind of benefit. But I do like taking breaks, you know, periodically to dip into TV or just cover like general gaming news or like play, you know, one-off games that come out that you can just beat in a weekend and, and review and, and move on. Yeah. What's the favorite thing you've watched over the past, I don't know, two months? Probably, probably Invincible. Okay. Um, that was just, it was such a surprising show to me because I, I hadn't read the source material or anything, yeah. but I was a little skeptical about it at first, but over time it just got better and better. I also really like Shadow and Bone. I just finished that on Netflix, which yeah. again, caught me off guard. I did not think I would enjoy that as much as I did. Yeah. It's, uh, there, there has been so much stuff lately that is so under my, like so under my radar. I don't know it exists until it's out. And then, yeah it gets kind of added to my backlog and yeah, a lot of, a lot of really pleasant surprises coming out, um, which is cool. Um, yep. well, Paul, thanks for uh, filling me in on a lot of this looter shooter stuff. This has been awesome. Um, I will g- go play with my outlanders figures because that's clearly <laughs> what I think I'm playing. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> where can folks find, uh, everything you do online? Uh, I'm at Paul Tassi on Twitter, um, Paul Tassi on YouTube. You can just Google me for my articles. It's probably the fastest way. <laughs> uh, and what, what else did I do? Oh, I, I wrote um, some books on Amazon that you can find if you like science fiction. Awesome. Uh, actually, before I go, uh, one highlight from this week's Apple Epic stuff that you like, that you think is wild. Oh, um just every time I think they've released a, where they release a document where it's like 
Uh, they redact just the Microsoft thing, and then they have all their competitors' numbers <laughs> just like sitting out in the open. Yeah, and this has happened like four or five times, it's and really it's, it's hilarious okay. every time. I've, and like this is yeah, this ended up like inadvertently kind of roasting Sony over the whole crossplay thing. And I've uh, been I've been asking kind of I've been asking everyone the same question, and everyone has a slightly different answer. And that's a really that's a really <laughs> good. There's like twelve stories it's a day. Such, and it's just like hard to choose. It's such a bonkers <laughs> story. All right, Paul. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for hanging out. <laughs> thanks. E3 confirmed this week that there are a slew of other publishers and developers that will participate in the digital version of E3 2021. Uh, Nintendo, Xbox, Capcom, Konami, Ubisoft, Take Two, Warner Brothers, they had all been announced prior, but E3 has recently, as of this week, added some more folks, uh, including Binge, Verizon, Turtle Beach, DVSI Entertainment, Freedom Games, Gearbox. Exceed, Bandai Namco, Square Enix, and Sega. Uh, Sega is important. This week, they also announced that Judgment, uh, the beat-em-up from the Yakuza team, uh, is getting a direct sequel from the RGG studio. Uh, This is coupled with the announcement that uh, the Yakuza games going forward are still going to be in the in the style of Like a Dragon, a hard RPG. Uh, for folks that really want that beat 'em up action that Yakuza was known for for a long time, Judgment is now your go-to. The sequel is called Lost Judgment, and it is a direct sequel to Judgment that came out in 2019. Uh, it is a brand new title with pro- uh, protagonist Yagami. Uh, leaving Kamarocho to visit uh, Njinko, where Yakuza Like a Dragon took place. Uh, it is going to come out on September 24th for PlayStation 4, 5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series S and X. Uh, one of the other things that they are really going to try to focus on going forward with this team is launching every one of their games globally at the same time, meaning there won't be a, uh, a big delay between the Japanese release and the English release, which the series has frankly become uh, synonymous with. Uh, we would get Yakuza games sometimes uh, a year or more after Japan would get them. This often had to do with like localization stuff. This is a very dense and uh, 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 interesting world based on reality, and it takes a lot of work to get these things localized, but it looks like they're investing in making that effort happen simultaneously so these global releases can happen. I mentioned Square Enix in that E3 bit. Uh, some uh, some late breaking news right before this goes to air. Uh, the uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade content will be a PlayStation 5 exclusive until near 2022. A new trailer dropped for that game uh, this week and give some details about that. Uh, start some um, pretty major spoilers for last year's uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. So if you haven't played Seven Remake yet and you're waiting to start fresh, I would just recommend not watching that trailer, even though it is very cool. Intergrade releases on June 10th. Uh, you, uh, if you own Final Fantasy VII Remake on PlayStation 4 already, you can get a free upgrade to the PlayStation 5 version, uh, and then you can buy Intergrade. Um, if you claimed Remake as part of PS Plus a few months ago, you're kind of out of luck. You need to go ahead and buy the Intergrade content. Uh, yeah. So in that instance, in all other instances, the cheapest copy, uh, the cheapest way to get into integrated content on PlayStation 5 is a $70 new purchase of the whole thing, um, which kind of sucks. But the the upgrades and all that stuff look really, really neat. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake was one of my very favorite games 
of last year and i cannot wait for this new content um and yeah we won't have to wait too long Nintendo's fiscal year 2021 recently ended on March 31st. Imran Khan calls it Numbers Christmas. The, the, the overnight info dump where Nintendo finally releases everything that they learned over the past year in one uh, single report. Imran was nice enough to pour through it. And I'm going to give you some highlights here. Uh, Nintendo Switches are still selling really, really well. Uh, they forecasted 19 million sold for this fiscal period. They later upped it to about 24 million. They sold nearly 30 million instead. Uh, the Switch is outpacing... The Wii and the PlayStation 4, with the same period during those launches, they've sold 85 million units. Uh, they will probably crush the 100, the fastest to 100 million sold mark um, that uh, it, it, sometime this year uh, in 2021, ending fiscal year 2022. Obviously, um, it is incredible how well the switch is selling uh i think if you don't remember how well this the, the wii actually sold uh that was a console that sold very well very well for many many years uh mostly due to kind of a, a, a wide family appeal a wide variety of uh some cheaper games too that were coming out for wii so it was a really really mega popular console there were a lot of uh, sales figures announced in this report, and Imran really contextualized a lot of it. So I want to read some of his uh, points, and I'm just going to respond to some of them. So Animal Crossing New Horizons, we knew it did super, super well. Pandemic, lots of folks at home, really popular game. It sold 32.63 million units over that fiscal period. So it had roughly a year to sell that much, uh, which uh, was a perfect amount of time. Uh, to give you some co context, Animal Crossing for Nintendo 64 and GameCube, Animal Crossing Wild World, Animal Crossing City Folk, Animal Crossing New Leaf, Animal Crossing Amiibo Festival, uh, they all combined sold uh, 33.78 million copies um, from their original release till now. That's all combined, okay? So New Horizons is about a million and some change under that. They will probably crush that this year as well. Uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons is a mega success. We knew it was a mega success, but this is just an extraordinary uh, way to look at the series and how it has grown in popularity. Uh, Super Mario 3D All-Stars uh, may have uh, left the store. You can no longer buy it. It did sold it did sell 9 million units since its release in September until it was taken off the store in March. Um, it sold, that's about $46,000, uh, 46,000 units a day uh, during that period. That's a pretty significant pretty successful game uh super mario 3d world plus bowser's fury mostly a rehash although bowser's fury is its own thing and very very good uh sold 5.59 million units since its release in february that's just a few months ago uh, a few months ago till the end of march so uh the original for wii u super mario 3d world uh also through the end of march 2021 sold 5.8 million units that means that when this game came out many years ago on the wii u and through March 2021, sold um, roughly the same amount as this thing that's only been out for a couple months. So, yes, Bowser's Fury, Fury is a new thing. It's exciting that that's on it, but this is still a rehash of an old game. Kind of shows you how unpopular the Wii U was, um, which is pretty wild. 
Uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe has sold 10.62 million copies, lifetime total of 35.39 million. That's only for the Switch version of the game. Uh, that's an incredible mark. Uh, Pikmin 3 Deluxe, which is the remaster of Pikmin 3, uh, it, it sold two point. Uh, it sold about two million units. Uh, that's one of the uh, the best selling. Uh, it's one of the best-selling entries in the series, uh, which is amazing because that's been around for so long. It seems popular, but maybe less popular than folks think. Uh, Super Mario Party sold uh, another 4.5 million units. Um, that, that brings it to a lifetime of nearly 15 million units. Uh, that probably explains why they went back and added that online play not long ago. Could hint at a future for Super Mario Party, but it's also just a, a pretty popular game. Uh, Ring Fit Adventure has sold uh, 10 million units, um, which is great. That's a brand new RPG IP, basically. It's an exercise game, sure, but it's got some original IP there, too. Uh, that's a rousing success. Um, one of my favorite stats that, that Imran ended his piece with is uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate sold 5 million units in this fiscal year alone. So March 2020 to March 2021. Uh, Street Fighter, Street Fighter Five, a game that came out in February 2016, uh, through uh, May 2020. That's all permutations of Street Fighter Five. They've sold five million units. So, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, mega popular fighting game. Uh, obviously, Street Fighter Five is is the king. Thought of as all that, but we are really seeing a a, a staggering shift and attention paid to these Nintendo franchises, uh, even beyond things like Mario. So Nintendo is having a really, really, really great last few years. And the fiscal year 2021 was sticking with Nintendo for just one moment. Uh, Twitter user, Sir Duke posted a Wikipedia excerpt about the time Charles Martinette, beloved voice actor for iconic character, Mario actually auditioned for the role and you know that meme that says it's never racist to do an Italian accent? I think Charles Martinet actually kind of put this to the test when he auditioned for the role. Now, uh, he was told that it needed to be an Italian plumber from Brooklyn. And so he kind of thought, uh, as the story goes, of a, a, a very Tony Soprano-like Italian-American with a gruff voice. Uh, but when it came time to actually read the line, he said some totally bonkers gibberish in a soft and friendly accent. And I would read it to you, but instead what I'm going to do is ask our wonderful 2020 editorial intern, intern, Ren Price, to read Charles Martinet's iconic audition for the character Mario. Take it away, Ren. It's me, Mario. Hello, I'm a Mario. Okie dokie. Let's make a pizza pie together. You go get some spaghetti. You go get some sausage. I get some sauce. You gonna put some spaghetti on the sausage and the sausage on the pizza. Then I'm gonna chase you with the pizza. Then you gonna chase me with the pizza and gonna make a lasagna. Wow, Ren. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. I cannot wait to make a lasagna with you. Hey, that's going to do it for this week's episode. I want to thank Paul Tassi for stopping by and talking about Destiny with me, about Outriders with me, not Outlanders. 
Outriders, uh, and also bonding over our barking dogs. That was a lot of fun. You can find uh, Paul on Twitter at Paul Tassie. If you want to find our own Paul, Paul Tamayo, the producer of this very show, you can do so over at Polly Mayo. If you want to find me, John Warren, you can do so over at Floppy Adult. I recommend you check out all of our podcasts at podcastnet.work. And hey, if you uh, need a guide, we have a new URL for our guide section. It's ohshit.help. That's O-H-S-H-I-T dot help. You can find all of our guides there. Colin McGregor just posted a million guides for Resident Evil Village. Uh, That game looks great. Can't wait to play it this weekend. Until next week, you're welcome. Hi, Merrick Kay here with the Fanbyte Podcast Network. I'd like to tell you about Channel F, a show where we talk about the games we're playing. Can I just say yeah. how much I would love for there to be a Hitman game that's just about making people experience embarrassing social faux pas, trying to like prank people and make it seem like they had farted or like tripped on something? <laughs> that would be like very good. Dig up weird finds at thrift stores. So the listing says Bung Doctor V64. <laughs> And take your questions about the best jokers. Flabars Martin asks, what's the best or coolest weapon ever given to a mech? Gundam Fusion Rebake has a really good... Oh, wait, give, me, sorry? give me that one more time. Gundam Fusion Rebake. Yo, I heard you. <laughs> Gundam Fusion. <laughs> I personally guarantee as the president of podcasts at Fanbyte that listening to Channel F will make you a better, smarter, more powerful version of yourself. So go to fanbyte.com slash podcasts or search for Channel F on your podcast app of choice today. Improvement not guaranteed. Listening to Channel F may cause purification.